the game on the line, you can't fold and you can't bend. Y'all uh, be playing it safe and I be going for the win. Remember back when they was doubting on the kid. Uh, now they tuned in cause my game too legit. Hey, what's going on, you guys? Welcome back to Forgiven AF Podcast. This is a second chance podcast that we use for marketing material for our mentorship program. Uh, we have an awesome show today. I'm super excited. Uh, Jose Vasquez on the show with us today, who uh, has been a huge part in our lives and has done some really cool things. So I'm excited to to get into this interview. Uh, real quick, I want to. We had two more kids uh, last week complete their community service and get their shoes. So um, remember, I said at the last time I talked about it, we had only had like four kids complete their community service. So it was really cool to have a couple more kids get it done because in December we were so busy, we decided to let the kids do their community service on their own. Um, and we didn't have the, the turnout of the completions that I really wanted, but we got a couple more come in at the end of the month. So that's really good. Um, we also, before we get to this interview with Jose, I want to thank him for, he got us like 25 tickets. I think it was to the Rangers game. Um, Jose is a strength and conditioning coach for the Rangers and he got us like 20 tickets to the game. So the boys had a blast. It was really cool. This was, I think it was maybe October, October. So I just wanted to, yeah. I just want to thank you for doing that. That was really cool. Um, so Jose Vasquez is a really good friend of our family. His wife was a member at our first gym and, uh, and I'll, I'll never remember or never forget when she was, when we found out that her husband happened to be the strength coach for the Rangers. I was so intimidated to meet you, man. I was like, I was so nervous. I remember, when you came in for that first time and you and rest, I think it was like you and uh, Justin were doing jujitsu. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I was like, Oh my God. So not only am I terrified of this guy, now he's over here kicking my trainer's butt in jujitsu. Um, but anyways, uh, Jose, thank you for being here, man. Uh, could you give our listeners kind of like a quick rundown and go into the detailed aspect of it? Like you said, because I think that's really cool. People knowing where you're from and how the whole story story started. Yeah. Um, so my name is Jose Vasquez. I, uh, I am originally from Puerto Rico, so I grew up in Puerto Rico till about the age of 12. Uh, my parents, uh, and my brother and my sister and I, we moved to Miami in 1982 when I was 12 years old. Uh, we moved to Miami at a time where there was a lot of uh, Cuban refugees coming into Miami area. There was a big influx of Latin American nationalities coming into the area, so... Uh, in a way, it was kind of easy because everyone spoke Spanish, but it was also very hard because uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't speak English very well. I needed to speak English to go to class, and so that was a little bit of a challenge when we moved from um, Puerto Rico to Miami. And uh, so English, speaking English was a big challenge through junior high and a little bit through high school. At that time, I don't mean to interrupt mm -hmm. you, at that time, that, was, that, was Puerto Rico already... Uh, state of the United States then when did that happen no uh well Puerto Rico is is called the territory of yeah. the U.S. I can't recall the history or when it became a territory but I know the whole idea of statehood has been up in the air for many years it goes up to vote and it gets turned down okay. and uh as far as I know uh, Puerto Rico is still a territory so I, I know really they're not random. a state but it was pretty easy to it wasn't hard to come oh yeah yeah so okay so yeah yeah I, I know what you're saying so uh because we're a territory, we don't have to have a special okay. visa. We don't, like other countries like Cuba or, yeah, or Venezuela, right. Dominican, we don't have to have a visa. That's we can cool. just come and go. You know? okay. So we're American citizens yeah. by, by, the, 
but because territory is a territory. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I know what you're getting at. Uh, so, yeah, it was easy to come over yeah. and all that, but it, it was still a challenge because it's still American culture with a Spanish flavor. And, uh, you know, but right away I got into sports and, and that always creates a social structure uh, when, you, when you join teams. And so I, I always had a passion for music and sports. And so I, I find myself with a little bit of both and um, I just got into it. Anything I wanted to try, I would, I would try it. I wasn't the best, but I was always, always competitive enough so that I could make the team and uh, find myself playing sports with other kids and you know that became my peer group and yeah. I, I assimilated to to the school system or to the school even though I didn't speak English very well uh, you know junior high again my sports got better I got into football that that was going well I uh, through football is when I discovered weights I like the way that football is structured uh, the way that practices are run you 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 line up you stretch you warm up, you lift weights after. Uh, I like the whole idea of, of, of football and the way that it is structured. And so I discovered weights and I realized, you know, for my size, I was pretty strong. I was as strong as some of the linemen at the time. Uh, so I fell in love with weights. And so that became a, a passion of mine. Exercise became a passion of mine when I started playing high school football. Uh, but I also played baseball and uh, between the two, I continued to to play through high school. I was doing pretty good on both. My original idea was to walk on to the University of Central Florida to play football. I had everything lined up, financial aid, everything you know, ready to go. Uh, but it, as it turns out, I had a really good baseball season my senior year. And I know that in, in Florida, junior colleges – are pretty good programs. So you can have a good year at a junior college in Florida and it's a high level baseball. And so you can get drafted right out of junior college and, and go on. And um, as I got into it a little bit more and I realized, you know what, maybe I do have a little bit of talent for baseball. So let me, let me stick with baseball. And so I played junior college baseball. Uh, did really well. The first, those two years in, in at central Florida community college, then I got a scholarship to the University of Tennessee. I always wanted to go to a big SEC school or a school with a big football program because those schools are, are fun. They have a lot of activities. And so that was my my dream was to play for a Division One top Division One school. And so as it turns out, I got a scholarship to the University of Tennessee. Uh, I played there two more years. And after that, I was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals. Played a few years there in the minor leagues, um, and then I realized uh, probably not going to make it. But I always had a passion for baseball. I had a passion for exercise. I had a passion for getting better. Whatever I got my mind set on, I, I wanted to get better, and I, I, it was just an itch that I always tried to scratch. And so um, when I realized that perhaps baseball wasn't going to turn out, and at the same time, I had gotten engaged and gotten married. Um, I realized, you know, I need to look at plan B. And so I started to look into becoming a college baseball coach. Um, the people, the few people that I talked to, they, they didn't, 
they didn't give me much hope. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to go back to school and get a master's. And so I decided to get a master's in physical therapy. It took me a year to get my grades up, got into physical therapy school. Uh, graduated from physical therapy school. We, we moved back to Tennessee where my, my wife's uh, family's from. Uh, right away when I got back, I had a, a job at a clinic, but at night I started coaching kids and coaching kids, training kids. And I realized, you know, this is pretty cool. I, I, I like this a little bit better than being in the clinic. And so I set out to develop a business plan to put a business together. So a buddy and I uh, put a business plan together and we were about to uh, start our own business when I, uh, I met Tom House. He was a former pitching coach here with the Rangers in the mid-90s. He was uh, actually Nolan Ryan's pitching coach. That's cool. At the time. Uh, well, not more, not at that time, but he was Nolan's pitching coach in the mid-90s when Nolan was here. And, uh, and we struck up a conversation, and, and he recommended me for a job that was open with the New York Mets at the time. And a few months later, I got a call from the Mets, went and interviewed, and um, long story short, I, I guess I must have done well in the interview. The general manager liked me. The trainers liked me. And so even though I had no experience in professional baseball, they decided to give me the job. And so I thought, well, let's, uh, let's take this job. Most of those jobs are pretty volatile. They, you know, you're in a couple of years and you're done. So I thought, I, I told my wife, all right, let's, let's try this for a few years. I'll make a name for myself. I'll come back to Knoxville and then we'll, I'll start my business like I was planning. Uh, well, that didn't work out that way. Uh, right now I'm going in my 22nd year of Major League Baseball as a strength coach. And so I, I've enjoyed a very, very long career. I've done a lot of cool things. Um, been to the World Series twice. We came up short um, 2010 and 11. Uh, I went to the All-Star Game as the strength coach for the American League team. I've been to Taiwan, Japan uh, to do speaking. I went to Japan with the Major League uh, All-Star team and I believe either 17 or 18, I can't recall. Uh, but, um, you know, I've had some really, really good players. I've worked with Hall of Famers. Uh, I've traveled everywhere with baseball. And, you know, as a kid in Puerto Rico, throwing the ball around in the house with uh, against the wall, I couldn't have never imagined that I would have this this career that I've had. So I, I am I have been blessed. And I look back and the way that God has moved in my life and how I uh where I'm at, I, it's, it's pretty much for me, it's a miracle that God gave me these opportunities and blessed me and taken me this far. That's so freaking cool. I really like the fact it's kind of like that American dream, you know, like mm -hmm. just a young kid from Puerto Rico, never really probably thinking like, oh, I'm going to go to the United States. I'm going to play baseball, you know, and then, mm -hmm. and it just shows with discipline and hard work, you know, nothing, none of that was handed to you. Mm -hmm. Like none of that was handed to you. You know, you had to put in the work to get to that level. So that's really cool. Um, you have three awesome kids. Uh, I can attest to that 100%. You've raised two beautiful, amazing girls that are very, they have a great head on their shoulders. They're very well-spoken. They're very, you know, they don't, mm -hmm. I don't even know how to describe it. Um, you have great kids. All your kids are awesome. So you've done an awesome job as a dad. 
um, the one of the questions I wanted to get into is how uh, how hard has it been being a husband and a parent while having to do all the traveling and all the crazy stuff that you've seen? Yeah, um, it's hard. I guess it's the first thing yeah, I would say it's hard. Um, but I, uh, you know, through prayer and, and just asking God to bless my situation, uh, I really believe that through his, his grace, he has helped me become the father that the best father that I can be under the circumstances. Um, I remember years ago, I was listening to a sermon by Joyce Meyer and she was speaking about her anxiety about being a good mother, having the job that she had traveling the world, preaching and and doing that. And and she said that um, she had a, a day that she was just wrestling with God about that situation. And, God told her, you do my job, you do what I call you to do, and I will take care of your kids. And there was a time where I had that moment after I listened to that, I was like, you know what, God, you know, every time I get down on myself because I'm gone all the time, and uh, you know what, I'm going to trust you that I'm going to do my job the best way that I can. I'm going to do the job that you, you've given me to do, and then I'm going to trust you with my kids. And so that gave me a lot of peace. Uh, there's still challenges and there's still a lot of things that go on that are difficult, but overall I, I found it, uh, good that, you know, God kind of gave me that peace of mind that, you know, you, you do what I called you to do, which is to be a strength coach and do the best you can with that. I'll take care of your kids. And, and, yeah. and in my opinion, he has, you've done, yeah, he has, and you have, and your wife has for sure. Like you having a wife, like you have definitely is huge. Mm-hmm like huge benefit to the whole process that Anne has been able to, you know, hold it together. But what I really love about watching you from the outside is how intentional you are when you are home mm-hmm. with your kids. You know what I mean? Like it, when you, when you're gone so much and then when you do get home to just sit on the couch and be like, Oh, I've been working. Like, it's not you at all. You know what I mean? Like you're with Kian, you're with the girls, you're with your family. You're and uh, and that's real commendable. So I really do respect that. And I've gotten a lot out of watching you with that. Um, Go into the next subject. Well, actually, I want to tell a quick story real quick. So Helena, one of his daughters, who is now playing college basketball, or I'm sorry, college volleyball, um, I remember when we first started about uh, talking about me training her, right? And uh, and before you would, not before you would let me, but you came and basically told me, this is how you're going to train my daughter, right? For one, it was the biggest um, boost for me as a trainer that you trusted me to train your daughter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I can't even tell you how much that meant to me and the confidence that it built in me that you trusted me to train her. And then you came and you showed me like some just, Hey, watch out for this type of stuff when you train my daughter. Um, but I guess you said to me, you were like, good luck with this one. You're like, good luck with this. And we'll see how long she keeps this up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you didn't mean that in a mean way towards her. You were just saying, Hey, we've done this a long time. And I think me and Helena worked out for two years before she left. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool, you know. But I just wanted to tell that story because how much it meant to me that you trusted me with that. So that's all I was getting with that. Yeah. Well, if I, if, I, if I may add something yeah. about being intentional, um, I think that being intentional with a family, it, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's not that hard. It's just a matter of um, having a a set of values of things that you value. And I remember somebody asked me, like, you know, I've done similar, 
interviews like this, and people always want to know, you know, what do you do every day? And I say, you know what I do? I, I go, okay, I, number one, I pray. I read my Bible. Uh, and number two, I always take inventory of my family. I check on my wife. How are you doing? What's going on with you? Not with the bills or not with the, you know, yeah. cable, TV, whatever. How are you doing? How are things going? What's going on with the kids? Anything personal or anything, anything that they're struggling with? I do that every day. That's so good. Every day, whether I'm home or on the road, I ask them how they're doing. Because um, in my opinion, it's not about we all get busy. We all have busy lives and we have a lot of things going on. But sometimes we take for granted that they might be feeling something and, and you might be the only person that can help them at that moment to get that out. And I... The last thing I do, the last thing I've ever ever wanted as a father or, or husband is for my family to carry things with them that they could have easily just... That you could have helped them that with. That I could have helped them with or yeah. I could have helped them just listening so that they can get it out of their system. Sometimes it's just about getting it out of the system because it's not like I can't, I can't fix anything. Yeah. But like, for example, like with Helena, you know, just ha having her work out with you, I know that she is sensitive to correction yeah. from me. Um She's always been intimidated by the way I I talk sometimes, especially when it came to the the, the workout part. Yeah. So I knew that if she could find someone that um, she didn't feel like that, then yeah, the, the idea was for her to get in shape, not for me to train her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The benefit is for her. So if she's getting it somewhere else, for me, that's that's a win. So I I am not that kind of. I've also realized that. The biggest uh, failure for me, from a father's standpoint, especially the ones that are coaches, they don't know when to stop being a coach. They don't know how to separate the coach and the dad part. That's and good. so I, I've worked on that because um, I knew that with her, I needed to be more of a dad and less of a coach. That's so, and that goes into one of the questions I had for you. Um, it's do you have to change your coaching style um or i'm trying to think of how to change you have to change the way because you're on the road and you're coaching right and you're dealing with players and you're dealing with athletes and you're dealing with egos and you're dealing with so how do you like flip that switch when you come home and not treat your kids like you're treating your players does that make sense yes. I mean, it's kind of what you just said but there's probably more to it yes uh when i when i was younger i probably was a little bit more emotional about that stuff, uh, you know, I'd come home and been frustrated with the stuff that we were dealing with with the players on the road, and then I'd see that a the same behavior with my kids, and then I would snap at them. Um, and then I I thought that I was okay in doing that because in my mind I thought I love my kids more, so. It means more. I need to discipline them more. Yeah. I need to correct them more. Uh, but I realized that um, over time that the way you deliver a message um, is, is, is crucial into the way that it's received. And also because my family needs me more than the players do, I, I realized I need to be more gentle my family I need to be kinder I need to be more patient the same patience that I show with them I need to show with my family even more so 
Yeah. Uh, and so I realized I need to find ways to uh, change the way I am or the way I talk when I come home. I can't bring the coaching hat yeah. home with me. So I learned how to take off the coaching hat. And when I came and walked in the door, it was dad mode. And that, I was going to figure out a way to try to catch up with what was going on that week, catch up with what's going on, the events of the family, and yeah. just try to get jump jump in and try to get right back in there. I like that about being more gentle because you don't want to come home and, and be the dictator. You've been gone, and all of a sudden you just come home, and it's like angry. And it's almost like, man... I don't want dad to come home, you know, like dad's going to come home and be angry. So that's good. Um, Let me see. One of the questions that I have. So when you first came into the league, right, and you were uh, coaching for the Mets, you were young. You were closer to these players' ages, right? Mm -hmm. So over the years, now that you've been in the league for 22 years, and now you've distanced yourself in age from the kids coming into the Mm -hmm. league. Now they're pretty much kids, right? Now you look at them as pretty much kids. They're 18 or 22 years old. Um, I guess the question was that what have you seen as far as like what's the difference coaching players coming into the league now compared to when you first started coaching? Yeah. Um, so when I first started coaching, I was at the most I was at an age uh, where I was close to them. So yeah. I was somewhat of a peer as far as age. Yeah, that's how I look at it. Um, but I also didn't have as much experience and I didn't I didn't know much. The one thing I did know is how baseball players are. So I, 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 ha- I always had this intuition of how to talk to those guys and how to get along with them and, and develop relationships with them. So my relationship with them back then, even though it was somewhat of a peer-to-peer type of thing, I learned that I needed to connect with them. I needed to develop a relationship with them before I was going to give them any kind of exercise advice. That's good. And so I realized at a young age that the relationship and the connection was more important than the exercise itself. Yeah. And, uh, but I was still young and I still probably the way I communicated probably uh, needed some polishing. As I gotten older and had kids, my kids got older. uh, My players are younger. I'm older. The, the, the biggest difference, I would say, is the level of patience that I have now versus then is greater. Yeah. And so for some of these guys, I treat them, I, I, can, I actually look at them as like my kids. I can see the immaturity in them. I can see the insecurity in them. I see the, the lack of life experience in them. And, and so I, I have a different perspective in the way I look at them. Uh, but overall, the players are the players. I mean, these are elite, God-given, God-talented yeah. players that they're they're just so good. It's you crazy, cannot yeah. you cannot get your head around it. But they're people just like us that have securities, insecurities, and yeah. fears and anxieties. And uh, now that I have a little more life experience, a little more patience. Uh, grace. I mean, more grace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it, it's a little easier for me now. Uh, so the message might be the same. I'm probably a little more patient and more gentle. It reminds you know? me of what is that saying? Is uh, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Exactly. So that kind of reminds me of what you were saying in the beginning, where you're like, I had to build the relationship first yeah. and show them that I'm not just here to tell them what to do, and then before you start giving them advice. So that's a cool um, aspect. How about differences in like? 
what we're dealing with the mentorship program is like difference in even communication styles, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're a little bit older, like it's almost easier for us to make a phone call. You know, sometimes people don't, but I feel like these kids nowadays, even 18, 19 year old professional players, um, it's like they even communicate differently, right? Like almost like text message always, like less talking on the phone. Do you, do you notice anything like that with the players? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, um, the, the communication is different for sure. Uh, technology yeah. has taken over and, and, and it, sometimes it could be a good, a conduit to communication. Uh, but in my opinion, it's still somewhat of a distraction. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, the, I, I find that there are still guys out there that have a level of, um, they approach, I would say, uh, I don't say maturity, but level of approach to communication that they'll put the phone down, they'll talk to you face to face, they'll That's they'll good. they'll look at you in the eye, they'll shake your hand. There, there's there's still a few of those. Yeah, that probably comes from good coaching in the past. Exactly. You know? Either either their family yeah. or coaching. There's a few of those, uh, but the majority of these guys now, yeah, they don't look at you in the eye, they don't shake your hand. Everything's a fist bump, or you know, a text, an emoji, a thumbs up. That's what. Yeah. You know. That's so we get that too. And so. I think the older generation, I guess, or we'll call yeah, it whatever. That's it. Uh, the people like us that maybe grew up a little different, I think we need to extend them a little more grace uh, because at, at the end of the day, if your message is not received, then what? Then yeah, then we're failing. Um, you know, uh, there's a saying that you haven't taught until they have learned, or you know, it's kind of but duh. But yeah. uh, when you communicate with these guys and they do what you said or you see what what you taught them then great you you can you have the feedback like okay i communicated properly yeah but there are many times where i'll instruct something or say something and i walk away and i and i see that they're not they're doing something completely different i was like you did not understand me at all and so at that point i got two choices i either say this guy is a dummy and he's not coachable or you know what? I need to rephrase this, and I need to try it again, and and fig and continue the the conversation until I that's see good. that he gets it. Yeah, that's humility. That's you being yeah. able to say, you know what? Maybe I instead of just blaming. A lot of people just want to blame someone else. Oh, he's dumb. He didn't understand it. He'll figure it out on his own. Or saying, you know what? Maybe I could have approached it differently. Let me come back. And that's the same thing that we can all take out of this is. Sometimes we might even tell our kids something and we're explaining it in a way that makes sense to us, but they don't get it. Mm -hmm. And then we just get mad because they didn't get it right. Instead of saying, you know what, maybe I could have explained that better. Let me try this again. And that just goes into grace and humility. I think that's all good. Um, one thing that I think is real cool is, and I've seen this firsthand with you. I remember watching your relationship. The first time I took Caden to a game with you, <laughs> this is so cool. Like, cause I'm a huge Cole Hamill fan cause he won the world series for Philly um, you had Cole giving Caden batting practice yeah. at the stadium, right? That, that was like the coolest thing ever. I have video of it. But just watching your relationship with these men and how you talk about God and how you're not scared to bring up Jesus to these players and the way you mentor some of these young players. I'm not going to, like we said, I'm not going to like go into names of these guys because I don't know what sort of relationships and what you're allowed to talk about. But there's some big name players that you've been like mentored, you know, like through their career. And I guess what I'm asking is, is that like, is the mentoring these players part of your job responsibility or is that something you just do out of your heart because you love people? No, uh, that is, I feel like that's something that God has called me to do. Um, there's a lot of people in professional sports that they're 
so afraid to cross the line, uh, whether it's uh, religion or even uh, job description. You know, a lot of people take religion as a, as a mental skills part of sports, but I have, I have confronted some of the mental skills people that come into our world and they'll give us a speech and they'll um, talk about this and that. And I'll say, you know, that that's comes from the Bible, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just trying to make it more secular for the like, okay, well, I just want you to know that I, I want to point out that you got that from the Bible. That's good. I you love know, that. So God, I said, God invented psychology. So all the stuff that you're saying and you're trying to do, God invented that. So I, I, I have confronted some of the people that, that come into our world. I don't world doubt that and, at all. I know. Uh, because I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to. I'm not saying that I'm a, a street corner preacher type in the yeah. clubhouse, but people know where I stand. Uh, people know that I'm a man of God and that I put God first, my family, and and then my job. Uh, and I've made a lot of. I've taken a, lot, a big stance in some areas of my job, because of my family, and there's a lot of reasons why I don't do a lot of. Uh, off-season training, speaking, things like that, because once the season's over, I'm home. Yeah. And I want to take care of my family. Uh, but when it comes to these these guys, the weight room is a place where guys let their hair down, and they come in and they complain about everything. And so over the years, I realized, man, these guys are so empty. These guys are, this guy's making $20 million a year and he is so empty and he's struggling with his marriage and he's struggling with his dad. There are guys at the big level that they still have daddy issues that their dad is trying to tell them what to hit or how to hit and they aren't good enough. And so I, I have listened to all these guys over the years and I realized there's a big hole in their life that is not going to be filled by baseball. Or money, right? Or money yeah. or, or fame and... And so uh, I always start by just listening and, and see, listening to what they're complaining about. Then I start kind of asking questions and asking questions about their father, asking questions about their family structure, uh, asking questions about their brothers. Do they have brothers? Are they the oldest? Are they the youngest? Um, and so I pry a little bit into their personal life because I know I always feel that we all are a product of our you know, upbringing, there's always something, you know, whether even e whether you become successful or not, I still think that we all carry some of that. And I, and I know that when it's not addressed, sometimes that can be a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I always felt like I could, I could do more for these guys. And, and I know that, and it's, and it's, I know that I'm, I've had an impact on them on that side, but I also know that when, when we when I do do that, they uh, we connect better. And yeah. then when I do have to put my foot down and say, "Hey, listen, you know, you have to work out today," they know that I care about them. Yeah, they know that I'm good. coming from a good place, and and they know that I'm more than just a strength coach. And I've always prided myself in trying to get these guys to see me as I don't I want to say a mentor, but I don't want them to just look at me as the weight room guy. Yeah, ah, here's Jose. He wants me to work out. No man, I, I just want to see how your mom is doing. Yeah, I just want to see how your dad is doing. Oh, you're, you're, you know, one one thing I make a habit of is, and I've been doing it for years. It's two things. Well, two things that I do. Uh, whenever it's their birthday, I send them a happy birthday text. 
no matter who it is, uh, former players, past players, current players, I always send them a happy birthday text. And the second thing I do is when I meet them and I get their contact information, I write down their wife's name, their kids' names. That's good. And so when I see them again, hey, how is little Joey? That's awesome. And man. so, oh, how do you know? Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, oh, yeah, he's doing great. It, it, here's, well, here's a good good story for you that it just, it, it'll, it'll kind of give you an idea of how these guys are. I had a pitcher a few years ago, came out, came out of the game. He came in the training room, and he was riding the bike. And uh, he didn't have a very good game, so he was kind of grumpy. And so I said to him, hey, how's your, how's your baby girl doing? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm about 280. It's like, I didn't ask you about your body weight. I asked you about your baby girl. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's doing great. And so we had this 30-minute conversation about his baby girl right after a game that he probably gave up five or six runs, and he was really angry. And so I turned the conversation about uh, his family, you know, about the game into a family thing. And he was, she was, I think she was a few months old and, and you know, recently born, and, and he just went on and on how great she was and stuff like that. And he took his mind away from from the game yeah. and because he's a guy that was kind of heavy set and they're always asking him about how much he weighed he thought that i was you yeah. know because i'm the strength coach critiquing i'm him critiquing yeah. his body weight and that's why he pitched bad and, and meanwhile i'm like i don't care about your body weight yeah. i just asked you about your baby girl and how's your wife doing how are you guys doing and so we had a long conversation about his little baby girl and so that that's the kind of stuff that i i use to uh connect with them have relationships with them Remind them that there are more important things than baseball. That's good. You know? And so I, I, that, that was a, always a funny story that I tell because he's like, 280? <laughs> yeah, that's you know, funny. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't care how much you weigh. He I automatically mean. assumed you were going to be asking him something about. Yeah. Exactly. They always assume that I'm always going to ask something exercise related. Yeah. For the most part. It's so funny. I don't care. There's such a correlation between that and what I do. So, I mean, obviously I'm just a personal trainer, but at the same time, like, I feel like a lot of times I'm almost more of a counselor than a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. You know, I, people come in, especially, you know, a lot of women and they'll come in and they'll, they'll want to talk about their problems and what they're going through. Like almost more than like working out, you know what I mean? It's like, so there's a meme that says like what my mom thinks I do. And it's like this guy and he's like training someone. Then it says what my friends think I do. And there's a bunch of girls and they're like in small outfits and he's training. And then it says what I really do. And it has a lady laying on his couch, like a, psychiatrist you know mm -hmm. what I mean so there's like the correlation between um there's so much more when it comes to fitness and strength than just the actual exercise you know what I mean like making yeah. sure people are good and and it's hard to separate the mind and the body yeah and so I've always known that um and so I I refuse to treat these guys on a physical level only I believe that that we are you know three Three and one, you yeah. know, we're physical, mental, and spiritual. And yeah. sometimes what's keeping these guys, in my opinion, what's keeping these guys from taking it to the next level that's spiritual, is the right? spiritual part because that's not addressed. And so one of the things that I always do is I'll, I'll make sure there's chapel every Sunday. So I organize chapel for the team every Sunday, make sure that we have chapel every everywhere we go. That's cool. On the road or at home. And so I, I, I'm not afraid to always tell the front office or my bosses that, hey, you know, this guy's problem is, is more than just physical. He's having problems at home or he's, you know, um, this is going on. So I try to explain the spiritual as yeah. best I can, but, but I really believe that 
in order to be a success in anything, you, you have to address all three areas, spiritual, mental, and physical. That's and so, so good. I love that. It also reminds me, so a lot of teams have their own like psychiatrist, right? Don't they? Yeah. Or like kind of like a, you know, a headspace doctor for some. So what's cool though, is I feel like these players would be more open to talking to someone like you where it's not like they're talking to a psychiatrist, but they kind of are in a way, you know what I mean? I say psychiatrist, but, or whatever, or like just someone that can get them thinking about other things in life. You know what I mean? It's hard when you sit down with a, a lot of people, if they know they're sitting down with a psychiatrist, they clam up, you know, but with Mm -hmm. you, oh, you're just my strength coach. I can talk to you about what's going on in my life. And so you have, you can dig that type of stuff out of them better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We, we call them, they, they call them, now they're calling them mental skills coaches. Uh, and yeah, sometimes, you know, when they talk to those guys, they go in a room in an office and, and it's a little more formal. So some guys hesitate. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just feel like it, it's a necessary part of my job to be able to have those conversations. Cause otherwise, you know, I, I can't help them with the physical. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome, dude. Um, one more question. Last regular question before I get to the, what we do with everyone. Um, what do you have? What are your plans for after coaching? Actually, I don't know, um, but I I know I will always be a coach. I will. I'm, I feel like that's what God has given me. That's my gift is to coach and teach. Uh, I love teaching exercise, but I also love teaching the Bible and, and explaining what God is telling me. And and so, um, I uh, I I think I will always be a coach of some good. type. And I like that you can connect those two things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like fitness and spiritual health and, you know, nutritional health, all that. That's awesome. Um, and I know that there's been nice facilities and nice places that have offered you jobs and tried to get you to come over there. So it's not like you're not going to have a bunch of options. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully you get that re-up on that contract. When do you go? When's your next? Um, well, I, I just got a two-year extension. Oh, so you have two more full seasons two coming Two more full seasons. Heck yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, 23 and 24. That's awesome. That's really cool. I knew that you got two. Mm-hmm. I guess it's already been two years, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. time flies. So I'm excited about these questions with you. There's two of them. One of them is just kind of anyone who's listening that has any, like, you know, kids um, that aspire to maybe play pro sports. It doesn't even necessarily have to be baseball. Um, what piece of advice would you give, like, a father or a mother who has a kid that wants to play, or even the kid um, towards, you know, getting into pro ball, which I know is hard. But mm-hmm. um, the first thing I would say to the parents is listen to your kids and listen and watch to see what their passions are, what their talents are, and facilitate that. Uh, One thing that I feel is very important, especially with kids, because they might have a passion for it, they they, they think they like something, but as soon as they try it and they fail, they're not going to want to do it, and they climb up and whatever, but uh, I feel like Listen to what the, your kids are wanting to do and then facilitate it. And then instead of right away, like, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that, just be patient and walk with them step by step, year by year. Um, you know, I, I, kids will tell you what they want to do. And if you pay attention, if you listen closely, you'll see where their interests are and where their passions are or where their gifts are. And if you can be patient and strategic about that then you can then you can help them that's good but don't come on too strong as soon as your your kid says i want to be a 
a Major League Baseball player and then go out and get them lessons and get them the Burn most expensive out. glove yeah. and this and that. Just, oh, okay, right, we'll, we'll take it one season at a time. You know, every season, at the end of the season, you reevaluate re- re- things. Do you still like it? Did, you know, how did it go for you that you, you know, as a parent, compare your kid to watch your kid play against the other kids. Is your kid as good as the other kids or not? And yeah. and be realistic. Be realistic. Be realistic. Um, but but it takes it takes some strategy, in my opinion, to to help them. Yeah. But also for you, for the parent, to be patient in facilitating the that's, kids' interests. That's awesome. That's really good advice. It reminds me of you don't want to be that dad who's trying to relive your wish of making it somewhere you know what I mean or to the next level and it doesn't have to be to professional sports that could be anywhere I'm just talking about in sports in general I I kind of asked that in a weird way but Mm -hmm. you know you see the dads who are like driving their kids past what they want to do because they're trying to live their dream through their kids which always leads to burnout resentment you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it doesn't push I mean maybe sometimes it works but I like if I can say something about dads let's talk about dads to all the dads out there listening, there's nothing more annoying than for you to yell at your kid while they're playing. Number one, your kid does not hear what you're saying. So whatever tip you're giving him through the fence, they're not picking that up. What they're picking up is your loud voice that is disrupting them, yeah. that is disrupting their concentration. It does not help. So my advice to all dads is keep your mouth shut, watch the game, Yeah. If you want to take notes, if you want to take uh, note of what your kid did, maybe talk about it after the game when you get in the car and stuff like that. But even then, your kid may not want to talk to you. Talk, nobody likes to learn. No, nobody learns when they're upset. So if you want to have a conversation after the game and the kid is upset and you want to tell them how to put their hands in with yeah. on the bat and this and that, you're not going to get anywhere. So... For all those dads out there that like to yell and they think that that's the way to do it, take it from me. That doesn't work. You're wasting your breath. And it it annoys the kid. It annoys the parents around you. Um, It annoys the coach. who That's his responsibility. It annoys the coaches. You are wasting your time and you're making a fool out of yourself and you're not helping your kid. The best way to help your kid is to keep your mouth shut, cheer when it's time to cheer, be quiet when it's time to be quiet. And if your son allows it or child allows it, to talk to you after the game, then talk to them. Because the game is not for you. It's for your kid. That's so it's good. their career, not yours. Your career is over. That's so and good. And by yelling, it does nothing. Just believe me, just from watching parents over the years and listening to my own Major League players talk to me about their dads and how much they hate their dad because their dad used to yell at them. Just take it from me. It does not help. And if you want to, if you want to ruin your kids' careers, keep yelling through the fence. Yeah, that's so true. That's a quick way to get them to want to quit, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to get them to quit. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. So that's great advice. I love all that. Um, last one, and this is non-sports related. Okay, mm-hmm. so unsports related. This is like my main question that I like to ask everybody. If you could give advice to sixteen-year-old Jose or just a random sixteen-year-old today, it doesn't have to be you. Just any sixteen-year-old. What is one piece of advice uh, you feel that you wish you knew or that you wish you could instill in a 16-year-old kid? Or let's say, um, no, that, I mean, that's good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. What can I say, two? Yeah. You get two yeah. pieces of advice. Or five, yeah. Uh, number one is um, identify your passion. And I know that's cliche, but it has to be something that 
you go to sleep thinking about it. You wake up in the morning thinking about it. Uh, that's how you know your passion. You know, one, one thing that I I do every day, pretty much without without failure, is I read my Bible and I read something about training, nutrition, training, something. I, when I'm bored in the doctor's office, I pull out my phone. I'm reading an article on training. I'm reading the Bible. You know, those are, those are the things that I'm into. That's my passion. So I'm constantly doing it. So if you find yourself with something that you think about all the time, all the time, as long as it's legal, <laughs> that's your passion. You know, so number one, all successful people have a passion. And they have an itch that just you cannot scratch and you're doing it all the time. It's naturally. Uh, and number two, don't take yourself so serious. Because you're going to fail. That's good. And so um, when you fail, there's a lesson in the failure. And if you take it so serious, you're going to be so upset and so angry and so disappointed that you're going to miss the opportunity to fail. And so one of the things that I struggled with as a 16-year-old is I, I wanted to go pro at 16. You know, like I wanted to get to the next level and this and that. And I was so hard on myself that I would get so angry that I couldn't see what I was doing wrong. I couldn't see what I was doing wrong with my sport because I was so angry. And so I've learned that in order for you to learn, you must fail. And in order for you to learn from that failure, you have to be in a frame of mind that is relaxed and calm and not upset and angry. And so most of us, when we fail, we get angry. We throw our hat, hat, our helmet, we throw the club or whatever. Okay, sometimes that happens, but my opinion is just don't take yourself so serious because you might miss the lesson. No, that's awesome. And to go back to the first one that you said about having the passion, there's going to be days, and I don't, and even if it is what you're passionate about, there's going to be days where you don't feel like practicing, you don't feel like reading, you don't feel like studying, but when you do have that passion, you're able to still get it done because you have a passion for it. You know what I mean? It's like, and I think that's so important. I, I think that really is good, especially... Um, when a kid is trying to figure out what he wants to do in life, you know, like don't be driven so much by money. Like how much money am I going to make? You know, because that's fleeting, right? You, mm-hmm. you, let's say you get the money, you can lose it or you might not, but having passion is something that you feel that you can actually like bring value through, you know? So I think that's awesome. Um, I think that's really it, dude. I'm really appreciative of you doing this with me, Jose. I, you know, I look up to you, man. Mm-hmm. I really, um, I love waking up in the morning and doing these Bible studies with you. Mm-hmm. Like you're probably the only person that I'm like, Oh, Oh my God, I got to get this Bible study done. You know, like the mm-hmm. accountability of doing it with you. And I didn't, I got to do yesterday's right now. Cause I'm behind, but dude, um, I love you, man. I really do. Your family is awesome. Thank you so much for doing this for me. Do you have anything you want to say before we No, Uh, you know, I just, I just want to say that thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I pray that somebody got something out of this podcast. I, I really believe that, um, God has given me a lot of opportunities to impact people. And, uh, I like to think that every day I can, I can make a difference in somebody's life. And so hopefully through this podcast and some of the things that I said and some, some of my experience, somebody gets they inspired, motivated, and, yeah. and, and somebody's life changes because of something they listened to or something they heard today. So, yeah, no, it's awesome, man. I'm really glad you're got two more seasons with the team. Hopefully that keeps going. And, uh, Again, man, thank you. And people will definitely get something out of this, especially dads. I know that you gave some really good advice that I think is going to really help, especially dads watching their kids play. And then hearing it from someone of your level makes people think, oh, man, like this guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe I should relax with the way I treat my kids. 
Um, but that's it, dude. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If um, next, my next episode is going to be where I'm going to answer a bunch of questions, and we already have a bunch of good ones. The same question keeps coming in over and over again, so I'm probably going to touch it. But um, forgivenafpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions that you want us to answer. Um, and if the website, secondchancementors.com, uh, we can always use use support. So if you go to the website and scroll down to the bottom, there's like different ways to get involved and different help. But that's it. I want you guys to remember that you're forgiven, that you're loved, and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a good day. Guys.